This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Um, this is Parshas of Eira. We get introduced to Moshe uh, Rabbeinu and to Aaron, getting ready to uh, introduce the Kodesh Baruch Hu to the world and, and to Klai Yisrael, which is what he does with the, with the, um, with the Makis. But before the Makis start, it's interesting, very interesting Rashi over here in, in Perik Vav, Pesach Vav, it talks about, it says, Who Arnu Moshe, Asher Omer Hashem Lahem. This is Arnu Moshe, the Shem was talking to. And Rashi asks, and he points out, he said, There are times that Aaron comes before Moshe. Sometimes Moshe comes before Aaron. So why is that? He said, either you should follow uh, age. If you follow age, then Aaron, Aaron is first. He was born first, so he's older. Or you should follow greatness. Moshe was, was much greater. Moshe spoke directly to Hashem. Moshe went up to Sinai. Moshe, the need for 40 days and 40 nights, everything that Moshe did was much greater. So why is it that if you want to choose greatness, Moshe should always go first. If you want to choose uh, age, then Aaron should go first. So Rashi answers that they're equal. Now, sometimes as they say, you, know, you're, you jump out of the frying pan into the fire. You don't really gain much. How could you say Moshe and Aaron were equal? They were not equal. Moshe was born, and, and the house lit up. Moshe was born, and he was born with a bris milah. Aaron was, was a wonderful person, but to compare him to Moshe is not, uh, not feasible, right? No one, no one lived. No human being was like Moshe. Yeah. You're looking at me that way. Yeah, you have the story in the Gemara, though, of Rebbe Ezra and Rebbe Kiva. Don't think that Rebbe Kiva is greater, because he said, but rather he's all Mavir al-Midoza, right? Right, 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 right. But, you know, when Moshe sort of on a different level. He's the only one who spoke directly, uh, directly to Hashem. So that makes it... But we'll see with the answer how it goes. That there's an interesting story with uh, Rav Moshe Feinstein that um, he was sitting once with his grandson, and his grandson asked him uh, a question. I guess only a grandson can ask. And says, "Zaidi, is it, how is it possible that you're not a Valgaiva? How is it possible you're not a show-off? Anytime there's a question, it all ends up by you. If anyone's arguing anywhere and there's arguing what the machlekes is, and someone says, well, Rav Moshe says like this.'" You shut the whole thing down. That's it. The argument's over. How is it possible you're not a Balgaiva? So, again, uh, a question a grandson can ask. So Ramesha answered him. Ramesha said as follows. Ramesha quoted the Gemara in, in Babasra on Yudam and Vez. And he says, the Gemara over there says a story. Different Baba. The Gemara says over there, talks about a story of... Rav Yosef and Rav Yeshua. I start wearing these glasses. Things in makes it different. And it says that he was very sick. Cholash Ingar. He was very sick. And they thought that's it. They're all of his family was gathered around the bed. He's going to die. And all of a sudden, he got better. So Amalei Avuah's father said, "My chazis, what did you see in the next world?" He says, "What happened?" Because I was up there, and then they they sent me back down. He says, "You're up there. So what do you see?" I saw an upside down world. So what was so upside down about the world? So he says, So no, no, You have seen a, a the proper world, the clear world. So Moshe asks, what does that mean that he saw an upside down world? So he says it means that down here people 
who are Talmid Chachamim, well respected Talmid Chachamim, up there, they're, they're not. Down here, people who uh, give a lot of tzedakah, and they're well respected, as they should be. Up there, they're not. And yet, down here, people perhaps don't give a lot of tzedakah, they're not well respected, up there they are. So Meisha asked, obvious question, how is that possible? You can tell me a guy who sits and learns over here 12, 15 hours a day, and he's well respected, and Shemaim he's not respected, and someone who manages to pull off 15 minutes a day. So, a very nice person, but uh, they don't run to him and ask him all these questions, and up there, he's so well respected. So, that, that was a, the, the question that Meisha asked his, has his grandson back. And Meisha said as follows, he said over a story, it became, uh, later on it became a well-known story, but he said that um, there was someone who lived in his neighborhood who didn't grow up from, and he became, he became from, he became Balchuva, and he would learn, and later on his father, his mother passed away, and his father came to live with them. It was well-known, his father was a, was a professional boxer, he was younger, and he came to live with them, and he would see every night his son was sitting and learning, and he would ask, what are you doing? I'm learning. And he would say, you know, I want to spend time with you. Let me, let me learn with you. He said, ah, come on, Todd. So it's in Hebrew. You don't know how to read. Teach me how to read. And they sat and they learned. And they started learning. And after a few months, they finished Omer Alf and, and, and Bez Omer Alf and Brachas. And they just started doing Omer Bez. And after nine months, they finished. It was a lot of work. Every night, 20 minutes a night, they would learn. And they finished. So he turns to his son. He goes, don't we make some sort of... Uh, party or something, and when your kids come home, it's all making you see them, so the son says, you know, not after uh, one blot, after one page, <coughs> sounds like in school, you know, we finished the puzzle, you make you see him. so the kid, the father was very disappointed, so the son lived in Lower East Side, went to Ramesh, asked Ramesh what to do, could I make you see him, so Ramesh heard the story, he says, yeah, of course you make you see him, but really on one condition, I want you to invite me, and People heard Ramesh was coming to the see him. Ramesh was already old at the time. A bunch of people came. <clears throat> and Ramesh spoke. And he said, Over in the Mishnah, Yesh Kainai Lamad Bashaachas. He said, Yesh Kainai Lamad Bablatachas. He says, Maybe this was his blot. He spent so much time. You accomplished what you meant to accomplish, a tremendous thing. And he spoke how beautiful it was. And of course, the father felt great. And he went to sleep that night with a tremendous feeling. Unfortunately, it was the last time he went to sleep with such a great feeling, because he didn't wake up the next morning. And the person went to Rav Maisha, and he let Rav Maisha know what happened. Rav Maisha says he wants to come to Levi, and he wants to speak. And he came to Levi, he spoke, and he said over that, this Gomorrah about Basra, and he said the Pshat in that Gomorrah. The Pshat in the Gomorrah is, he says, you look at down here, someone gave you know, a million dollars for tzedakah. So of course, you have to respect the person, you give him COVID. The guy gave $100 a year, you take the money, but uh, there's no room for him on the, on the dais. He says, up in Shemayim, it's a little different. How is it possible it's a little different? Because in Shemayim, they don't look at what you give. They look at what you're left over with. So the guy makes you know, $100 million a year, and he gave a million dollars for tzedakah. Down here, it's tremendous. But in Shemayim, they say, what are you talking about? You should have given a lot. You know, $20 million you should have given. You're still left with $80 million. It's enough to play around with. The guy who gave $100, maybe he makes a few thousand dollars a year. And for him to give $100, it meant he didn't have lunch sometimes. So while down here we look at him one way, in Shemayim they look at the potential and what you were able to accomplish and how close you got to that. And then he said about this person, he says, obviously this person 
didn't grow up from, didn't know anything. Maybe his tafkid was to learn one block Gemara. And he fulfilled his tafkid. A tzaddik. So Moshe said this all over to his grandson. Then he turned to his grandson and he said, he says, you want to know how I'm not a Valgaiva? You want to know what keeps me up at night? He says, yeah, maybe I learn. I forgot the number you used. I'll make it up. Maybe I learn 16 hours a day, 15 hours a day. But maybe I'm supposed to learn 15 and a half hours a day. Kashmoku gave me kaychis, and maybe I'm supposed to do that. And I don't do that. And that what, that's what keeps me, uh, keeps me humble. He says, that's a pshat, what Moshe said, on this Rashi, Shekun Ke'echad, that Moshe and Aaron are equal. Of course, down here with what they call, you know, the Fleshe Ga'egen, you know, with, your, with our human eyes, we look at Moshe and Aaron, Moshe was much greater than Aaron. But in Shemayim, Moshe and Aaron were equal. Why were they equal? Because Moshe and Aaron both fulfilled their tafkid. They both did what they were meant to do. And therefore, while down here, Moshe was much greater. But up there, it was not. In fact, this explains that the Rambam, the Rambam in Hilchus Tshuva, in Perakei Lachabes, he says a very interesting thing. Even though in the Animamans we say there never was a Navi like Moshe Rabbeinu, and there never will be, the Rambam writes, he writes the whole thing, then he says, um, a person should not think you're born a Rasha, or you're born a Tzaddik. Every single person has the ability to be as great as Moshe Rabbeinu. You got the flip side too. And the Raman goes on. But they ask, it's possible to be as great as Moshe Rabbeinu? How is that possible? And with this Ramesha, we understand. Because what it means to be as great as Moshe Rabbeinu, it means to fulfill your tafkid. And let's say someone's tafkid is to learn uh, an hour a day, and he manages to do that. He's as great as Moshe Rabbeinu. Of course, we don't know exactly what our tafkid is. It makes it a little trickier. But that's what Rashi is telling us. And therefore Rashi explains, as we are about to get ready to leave Mitzrayim, to become a nation, until now everyone was the same. Everybody had to build bricks, and he got killed. And that was the Seder Hayyim. Now we're going out as a nation, and every person is going to start fulfilling what they need to fulfill. And you can look at the guy next to you and say, he's so much greater than me. The answer is, every person was created with certain abilities, and if you fulfill what you're meant to fulfill, then you will be as great, you'll be as great as Maish Rabbeinu. Now sometimes people think, okay, that, that's very nice, but it doesn't really apply to me. This applies to people who really have, who really have what to accomplish. How does that apply to, to, to your regular guy off the street? What, 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 is, what am I really meant uh, to accomplish? So it's interesting that the Gemara in Babakama, on the Tesla Bays, and the Gemara says as follows, that somebody was walking, and the Gemara says, people got very upset at him. Because, let me just get to Gemara, let me put my eyeballs on. The Gemara says like this, Eliezer the era, Eliezer the, the, the younger, he was wearing black shoes. He was wearing black shoes. As Rashi explains, the way an oval wears. Black shoes. The Koibishuk in Ardai, he ended up in the Shuk in Ardai. Ashkehu de Beresh Gulusa. The officers of the Reish Gulusa saw him. They said, Why are you wearing black shoes? Who gave you the right to wear black shoes? Yerushalayim. I am mourning over Yerushalayim. So Amr Yerushalayim. Who made you so chashuv that you have a right to mourn over Yerushalayim? Who are you? They thought he was being a Balgaiva. And they took him and they put him in, uh, they put him in jail. So Amr he said to them, I'm a great person. I'm a big tzaddik. I'm a big tamachachim. 
Why, why are you saying that I'm a show-off? Okay? How do we know that you're a big tzaddik? So he, nowadays, you can just show them pictures, you know, Rebbe cards and stuff, probably carries around. So he says to them, Either you ask a question, and we'll try to answer, or we'll ask you, and you'll try to answer. And the Gemara goes on what he asked them. But the Svarim asks a few questions. First of all, I'm not allowed to cry for your shalayim. Like, you have to be a hush of a person. Number one. Number two is, what's this thing of wearing black shoes is a sign of a novel? A novel doesn't wear shoes. A novel doesn't wear shoes at all. So what, how's this? Huh? A novel doesn't wear shoes at all. What's this black shoes? So the different Svarim talk about that. A novel wears all black, and the minute was to wear all black and white shoelaces. And an oval would wear all black, and he would wear black shoelaces. But that's not how Rashi learns, so what's the shot over here? So they say, there's a famous saying, don't throw away the good because of the perfect. Sometimes you only want to do something if you can do it perfect. If I can't do it perfectly, then I don't even want to do it a little. Chavetz Chaim would often say that people don't want to do a chlasas archim because their guest room is not finished. And he's a, he's a nice coat of painting. And therefore, you're embarrassed. You're going to have the guy come to your house? So it's better you should sleep in the back of the shoal because you don't want to let him in your house. Because you can't do the mitzvah perfectly and your new pillows that you need to buy you didn't purchase yet, so you don't do chazarcham. So it doesn't work that way. You do what you can do. So what the Gemara was saying was, is that, of course, this person is wearing shoes when you, an oval, uh, someone cries for the Beis Migdash. You're not crying like an oval. Person can't live his life all the time like those seven days of Avelis. But he was doing something. He was putting on the shoes. So he said, Who are you? Where did you come with this idea that you can do something? Either sit down on the floor like a novel or not. Were well, you making up new things? And his point was, he says, No, shoes, shoes are something to help a person move forward. If you don't have shoes, it's very hard to go places. And therefore, he says, Shoes are something you, 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 it helps you move forward. He says, It's possible. To do something halfway. To do what you can do. And therefore I am, I am crying for the Beis Hamikdash in a way that I'm able to do it. And that's what he was telling them. Sometimes they say, you know, you, you look at the Kaisel, oh wow, the, the holiest place for the Jews. Not really. It's really behind that, what's, what's really so holy for us. But that doesn't mean that it's nothing. Which means don't throw away the good, the, the good because of the perfect. So again, if a person thinks they can't do something, they shouldn't think, well, if I can't do it all, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do anything. That is a perfect way not to fulfill your tafkid. But a person should look at, I will do as much as I can do. And that's all I'm meant to do. As much as I can do, and that the person uh, will be successful with. Sometimes whenever a person thinks, that's not me. Not me, I'm not the guy that can do something. I can do so little that it doesn't even count by me. So it's interesting... If you look at the parsha, we have seven makkas in this parsha and three in the next parsha. There's a pattern to these makkas. What's the pattern? So you have one, two, and then three, four, five, and then six, seven, eight, and then nine. What does that mean? So the first two makkas had a warning, and the model explains they were like an aid, Adam. So then the third one didn't have four and five. Yeah, yeah, that's all. Yeah, four and five had had asra. And six didn't, seven, eight didn't. And also another pattern is that every, every first one was given by the Nile, and every second one was given by the palace. Well, yeah, they changed that, so it works out this year. Anyway, so that, that's, 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 um, that, that doesn't. 
What? Okay. Anyways, but if you look at the Mahat, it's true, look inside, you'll see it. Anyways, if you look, it's interesting. There's, however, by the fourth Makkah, the fourth Makkah is called, what, what's the fourth Makkah called? Anybody? All right. Except the Chumash doesn't say Aroth. Wild animals. I don't know exactly what, you know exactly what the Chumash says? Something else. Anybody? No? It says Ha'arif. With a hey idea. A declarative hey. It does not say any other maka. It doesn't say Hadam, Hatsfardeya. It doesn't say any of that. Ha'arif, it says? Ha'arif. Each time it says, it says with a hey idea. The beast. What? The beast. The mixture of wild animals. Why is that a hey? So the Rishonim speak about it. Depends what swarm you have at home, either the Rabbeinu Bachaya or the Rabbeinu Bachya. Both of them speak about it. But anyways, um, it, it, what's, the, what's the hay? What's, what's, what's the extra hay? But there's other things you find over here. Rashi says over here, the Pasuk says like this. He says he's going to bring the Makkah of Ha'arev. And he says, um, what's going to be about this Makkah? I will separate on that day, Eretz Gresham. Rashi explains, if Rashi I'm going to separate, which means... This mark of Arav, the Yidah won't be affected. Were they affected by Makkah's Adam? Svardaya? None of the Makkah's affected the Yidah. Why over here does the Torah have to point out, there's only Makkah that points out, the Yidah won't be affected by this Makkah. They weren't affected by any of the Makkah's. And then, Rashi says a very interesting thing, that even though my Shechina is in Shemayim, my decrees are, are adhered to down here on earth. And not by Dam, not by Tzvodeh, Hashem's in Shemayim, He decreed the water should turn into blood, and it did. He decreed there should be light, He decreed there should be darkness, and it did. Why by this market does it say that my, even though my Shekin is in Shemayim, my decree is listened to down here? And that the Yidim will be affected, as we said? And the Yidim won't be affected. But, but they're not affected by every Makkah. No. And the last one is, again, each Makkah, he warned them it's going to happen tomorrow, but this is the only time he uses a different Lashon. Here he says the Lashon of, um, which became a, a very popular saying, saying is, tomorrow will be this sign, will be this ice. Every Makkah that they're warned will happen tomorrow, but doesn't use that Lashon, there'll be an ice tomorrow. So the Swarm explained it as, as, as follows, and that is, we know by Cain, when Cain killed Hevel, and Hashem caught up to him and said, you know, what'd you do? And Cain fessed up, he confessed, and he said, okay, what's going to be? It's such a great Naver, I can't do tshuva? And Hashem said, you can do tshuva. He said, oh, but everywhere I go, until now, the, the, um, no one killed me, now they're going to kill me. So Rashi says, who is he scared of? The only other people alive were his father and mother. They're not going to kill him. So he says, no, no until now, until the fear of, I had, the animals were scared of me. Now that I killed somebody, the animals aren't scared of me anymore. So Kreisberg went to put an ice, a sign on him, sort of, and now the animals won't. What does that mean? What's going on? He what says, was the sign? So that, that, well, I'll tell you in a second, that the animals, until now, wouldn't touch a human being, because they saw it, Selim Elikim. A human being was created in the image of Hashem, and therefore they wouldn't touch However, once someone does a verse, you're no different than an animal. And therefore, they'll, they'll attack you also. If you're, unless you're bigger than them, they'll attack you. So Cain said, he killed somebody, so he lost his Tzalem Aleichem. 
And now I'm stuck. So Shem said, I'm going to put, give you back your Tzalem Aleichem. That was the ice. She said, perhaps that's the shot over here. Every Makkah was full of Nisam. And the Taka, the Yidin were not affected by Dan, they were not affected by Chayshach, etc. But by the Makkah of Arav, <coughs> that's a different Makkah. This is Ha'arev, the Arav, that what? Similar to what happened with Cain. Which means that, of course, the fact that the wild animals coming, the Shem said there were 12 different wild animals that came, that was a miracle. But the fact that the Yidin won't be affected was not a miracle. The Yidin and Mitzrayim were so full of morality, and they, they lived their lives properly, they all had the Tzalem Alekim on them. And since they all had the Tzalem Alekim on them, the animals will not attack them. So Hashem said, tomorrow there's going to be a Makkah that's going to come, that's going to separate the Yidin and the Gayim, but it won't be a miracle. It's going to be because naturally, the Yidin have the Tzalem Alekim, the animals won't attack them. And that's where the Pasuk says, Tomorrow this ice, the same ice that Cain had, is going to be tomorrow. The fact that they came, the fact that they came, they all showed up. Oh, in that, in the, in the, the, the other two but they, they came, and therefore that's a pshat in Rashi. When Rashi says that even though my shkinos and shemayim gets rossi miskiemus betachtenim, my gezeres are carried out down here. Mm-hmm. Now you understand, it's referring to the people who live their lives properly, and the male, they're Tzalem Aleichim. And since they're Tzalem Aleichim, and even though Shem says, I'm in Shemayim, but I have my, my representatives down here, because they're walking with the Tzalem Aleichim. And that's what it says, uh, the Lashon of Ha'arayv. How does it fit with Memtah Shari Tumah? Can you? How does it fit that they were in the Memtah Shari Tumah? It's two separate things. Tumah, a person could do mitzvahs and still be in the Memtah Shari Tumah. Hence, look at us. That's a very nice, but it's, it's a much longer answer, because in short is, if we went down to be, the whole thing was to purify us, it was a, an experiment gone wrong, because if 70 tzaddikah went down to Mitzrayim, and the people who came up, was only one-fifth, so approximately, which was about three million, came up and 12 million died, so the experiment didn't work out so well. Right? And the people who came out were on the Memtah Shayatoma. Those were the good ones. I'll <coughs> have to say that for, for, for another time. Next year. Right. Let's, uh, well, no, let, 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 the kids are, so, so, so that's just, you know, the, the um, Ravachan of Asman came to America in 1937 to go collecting. As, as was the Minig. And he went around, and at one point, the Manal of Tervidas took him to different places. To, to, he went to Denver, he went to, to Texas, he went all over. When he came to New York, so he was upstate New York, and there's a person named, I forgot his first name, something, uh, Silverstein, and he was staying by his house. There were a lot of Yidin living upstate at that time, and he was taking them around. And they were passed by a very large home, and they just passed by, and Hanan said, it's, it's a Jewish house, I see the mezuzah, why don't we go inside there? He said, Rebbe, we can't go inside there. He says, why not? He says, look. And there were two wild dogs running around in the fenced-in yard. Nobody can go inside. These are wild. So Rebbe said, no, let's go, let's go. And the guy says, okay, I'll, I'll wait here. You, you go. And Rebbe opens up the gate. He walks inside. The two dogs come running over to him. And they stop. And they run each side of him. And he starts to walk in. And walks to the front door. He rings the bell. The guy in the house opens up the door. His bell hasn't rung in a very long time. 
And he opens it up, and there's this person, he makes his pitch, he gave him a check, and he starts to leave. The two dogs are walking him out. And as he walks out, he closes the door, and the dog's going to go nuts. So this person asks him, what's going on? Like, what do you do? And he said, it's over. He said, over with kind. He says, a person is created with Tzalem Aleichem. If a person has a Tzalem Aleichem, the animals realize that you are a human being, you're not one of them, and therefore they, that's it, they, 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 they don't touch you. So he looks at Rukhani, he goes, could I do that too? He says, anybody can do it. He says, but I already did a virus. He says, do tshuva. If you do an Aver and you do tshuva, you get your Tzalem Aleichem back. So it's not a, it's not a, you know, not a fable, it's a, it's, a, it's a real thing. And the truth is, this applies to all human beings. Rav Victor Miller would say, he was very, everyone knows Rav Victor Miller did not mince words. And yet he got very upset when people used the word shagets. He said, when you use the word shagets, you're demeaning the Tzalem Elikim. He says, the Kodesh Baruch made them. And coming from Victor Miller, it's worth like a hundred times more, because he did not mince his words, even though he was recorded. And, and yet he was very mad. He said, don't, don't, uh, they, I heard a story recently. They say, Ramat uh, Solomon, Sal, somebody came for an upsharn. And he came a few minutes late. So he was apologizing to the Mashiach. He said, I'm sorry, I had to circle the block a few times. He said, why do you have to circle the block? Couldn't find parking? He said, we're very mocked on the day of the upsharn that he shouldn't see either a, a, a trefa animal, like a dog, or a guy. So we had to circle a few times till it was clear so we can go in. So Ramatisio said how sad it is that you're teaching kids so young to look down at another Tzalem Aleichem. He said, everybody was made by Kodesh Baruch Hu. He said, that's not the way you look at uh, someone else. Because if you're going to say, the guy is nothing. The guy is nothing, and I'm better than the guy. So you're better than nothing. That's a very low bar to set. And therefore a person has to realize that Tzalem Aleichem has tremendous connection to Kodesh Baruch Hu. And therefore, everyone has what they what they what they need to do to to accomplish. So you can't give a shit without speaking about the and the Yama of what's going on with uh, the vast portion of Klai Yisrael. So people always say, you know, you can learn for Klai Yisrael, you can learn Torah, and we daven. We're learning and we're davening. We're learning better and we're davening better. So learning, I can understand perhaps what learning has to do with it. It protects Tzimogin, protects Klai Yisrael. But what does davening do? So we know, we spoke about in the past, Davin is to create a relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. So I Davin, I create a relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. But when I find out that uh, Ruvain, or some of these names that you can't pronounce, are, are in trouble, or they're in, in, in a Makkim Sekana, how does my Davin help? My Davin for them doesn't better my relationship with the Kaddish Baruch because I'm Davin for them. My Davin for them doesn't help their relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. So, so how could my Davin for someone else do? It's very nice. You sing Achayin of Bnei Yisrael afterwards, but how does that help? How does that help for, for, for someone else? The answer, of course, is that imagine you're hanging up a picture in your house. So you, you, you measure where it goes. You take the nail one hand. You take the hammer the other hand, and you smash the nail. But what happens if you hit the wrong nail? You hit your thumbnail. You start yelling and screaming, right? Ah, oh, it hurts! It hurts! But this hand doesn't start going and start hitting this hand. And they say, what are you hitting it? And they turn a bully, what? Stop talking. They start hitting it. It doesn't happen. Why? Because we're one body. So if we realize with Kleinstrol, we're all one body, and it bothers someone else, then it would bother me as well. But if you look at it a little more, I'm sure you've all done puzzles before. What's the difference between a puzzle that a two-year-old does and a, and a ten-year-old? One has more pieces. Okay, good. What else? Smaller pieces. Smaller pieces? Smaller pieces. More difficult. More difficult. In what way? 
I'm looking Visual. for one specific thing that pictures. Well, most puzzles have pictures. Otherwise, no, no, I'm saying the, the shape, pictures the are shape. easier, difficult. Okay. Less what? Less clues. Less clues. Also, that every puzzle piece has indentations and protrusions. A puzzle piece for kids is just squares, right? And they're just squares, the little, these big squares, and you just put them next to each other. As you get older, five, six, ten, whatever it is, every puzzle piece has protrusions and it has indentations. And you have to match them to go inside. Now, obviously, when you finish that puzzle, which puzzle is stronger? The puzzle that you have to put the pieces inside and match them, right? She says, every person, every human being is created with talents, and every human being is created with deficiencies. And our job is to find somebody that our talent can help their deficiency. Of course, Moral didn't create us missing something by mistake. As we always say, the one word Hashem never says is oops. And of course, Moral created somebody deficient, as we, as we say in Burning of Fashes, Rabbis Veches we create us with our chesor, with our missing, for the purpose that someone else should come and fill in the blank. And that's why Kosh Baruch made us that way. I don't know if you said in the past, I'll say quickly that there was, uh, you heard of the USO? USO stands for United States Organization. And it was an organization made when they had all these soldiers fighting. So these entertainers would go there to entertain them, they needed a break. Anyways, one time this guy, the guy started with Ed Sullivan, and he finds out that a guy named Jimmy Durant is coming to New York. He was a comedian. And in Staten Island, they had a, they had a uh, large hospital. It's still there for, for injured soldiers. And they would bring them to Germany. And then when they could, they'd bring them back to the States. And there were about 2,000 injured soldiers there. And he finds out this guy, Jimmy Durant, is coming. He calls up his agents. He goes, he's coming to New York. He's got to come to the hospital and entertain the soldiers. And he says, sorry, he can't come. So why can't he come? Because he's in a big rush, he has a, a, a radio interview, and he can't... He goes, let him come just for 10 minutes. 2,000 soldiers, let him come for 10 minutes. He says, he can't come. He goes, why not? He goes, I know what you're going to do. He's going to come for 10 minutes. Oh, you're here already, stay another 10 minutes, stay another 10 minutes. He cannot afford to miss his interview. So Ed Sullivan says, I promise you, I won't say a word to him. I'll give you my word. Fine. Sure enough, two weeks later, he comes, the soldiers are thrilled. The auditorium is packed. The soldiers are all injured, half of them in beds, wheelchairs. The guy comes in, he goes on stage, and the place erupts in applause and laughter. It's great. 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. After 25 minutes, the manager on the side of the stage turns to Ed Sullivan and says, You see, I told you, this is exactly what was scared to happen. He's going to miss the interview now. So Ed Sullivan says, What do you want from me? I didn't say a word to him. I'm standing with you. You want him off stage? Get him off stage. So the manager says, I think I'm going to do that. He walks on stage, grabs him, pulls him right off. He comes off, he says, Jimmy, what are you doing? Why do you stay on stage so long? He turns to his manager and says, come on, look at that. He looks at him, he goes, what? He goes, look at them clapping. He says, Jimmy, wherever you go, they clap. They love you everywhere. What? Nothing different here. He goes, no, no, look right in front of where I was standing. And the guy looks, and he sees everyone standing up clapping, and he sees two soldiers, one missing his right arm, one missing his left arm, and they were clapping together. He said, I see what these guys went through. And how much joy was bringing them, I couldn't get off stage. He says, but that's how Kodesh Baruch created us. We all have things that we're missing, and we all have things that we can give to others. We have to realize that Shemineser is written in Lashon Rabbim. Rafa'inu, Slachlonu. Every Shemineser is written in Lashon Rabbim. Because we are meant to dive, and not just for ourselves. If you feel for another Yid, 
you're one body, so question you can daven, you can daven for 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 another yid. You know, there's a famous story with 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 a guy was going around asking people if you can have dinner with any three people in history, who would you have dinner with? And people would say, my 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 father, my grandfather, Chavetz um, Chaim, the Rambam, Meisher Beinu. So they asked David Feinstein, if you can have dinner with any three people you want, who would you want to have dinner with? And he said, any three poor people who need dinner. I would invite them for dinner. So this story was going around, a very interesting story. But what was the shot in this story? How come no one answered that and only he answered that way? The answer is very simple. Because when you were asked a question, the first thought you went to your mind is, wow, who could I have dinner with? I'm going to meet the, the Rambam. I'm going to meet uh, the Baal Shem Tov. I'm going to meet the Rukhibay. Who was of David Feinstein's first thought? How could I help somebody else? What does somebody else need? A person that approaches his, his field, approaches everything that he does that way, it's a completely different thing. It's something that Kosh Baruch Hu smiles on. So just end with one thing. What happens if you have a difficult time connecting to somebody? And as we talk to see, a lot of these people, unfortunately, are distanced from us. And sometimes we tend to think, okay, listen, what does that have to do with me? It's a very, we, we know it's a sad, a sad thought, but it's a real thought. So, after the Holocaust, many people were coming to Eretz Yisrael. They would come in through Haifa. That was the port they would come in mostly. And they would come to Haifa, and from there they'd get on a train, and they go to Tel Aviv, Yerushalayim. Not many stayed in Haifa. The Seret Vision Sereva, at that time, the Makar Baruch, he was called, or Baruch Hagar, he decided, you know what, I'm going to stay in Haifa. I need to build a Yiddish guy in Haifa. And he stayed in Haifa. And other people stayed there also. A fellow went to open up a shul. And it was a very nice shul. And a lot of people started to come. Especially Shabbos morning was a very big minion. Unfortunately, a little while after he opened up the shul, down the block someone opened up a store. A clothing store. And as fate would have it, it was a very successful clothing store. And Shabbos morning was a big day. Big shopping day. And people would leave still after davening. And never they would go and pass by the store doing brisk business. So the Rav went over to him and said, you know, maybe you can uh, close the store. Mind your own business. I don't tell you what to do. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> A few weeks later, he went to me and says, you know, maybe just close it. Just close it. When we're finishing show, that half hour, that 45 minutes. So it doesn't look so bad. Mind your own business. I don't tell you what to do. Don't tell. He tried a few times. It was very uncomfortable, the whole thing. So after a while, he went to the Sarevision Sereva, and he said, what should I do? He said, what's the problem? He tells him the whole problem. He goes, this guy's terrible, he's ruining it for everybody. So the Rebbe looks at him and says, tell me, do you love this Yid? He says, Rebbe, I just told you what he does. He's a Mechal Shabbos. He hates, he, no, I hate him. He says, you know, maybe, maybe it's not what you think. How do you know that you hate him because he's Mechal Shabbos? Maybe he's Michal Shabbos because you ate him. And the Rav looks at him and says, What? How do you know that you hate him because he's Michal Shabbos? Maybe he's Michal Shabbos because you hate him. And the Rav felt he needed a Tylenol. <laughs> so he said, He says, We say, Al Tashikhenu Leizikna. Don't throw me away to old age. And what are the next words after that? What? The Ruach. What's the one? The Ruach. Chachacha. 
Your, your Holy Spirit, your Lord, don't take from me. What do you mean, don't take from me? You have what? The answer is, everybody has it. And we doubt it should be taken away from us. Everyone has it. We say, Every single yid has a neshama. And there's a part of that neshama that you cannot sell it. You can't get dirty. And there's nothing you can do to get a Kosh Baruch Hu not to love you. Everyone has that part of them. Every single yid. And you should realize that this yid has it also. And therefore you should love him. So the Rav said, okay, I'm going to try. The next Shabbos, he's on the way to Shul. He goes into the store. The guy looks and says, what do you want? Shabbat Shalom. I want to wish you good Shabbos. What, what, what? What, what? And he walks out. The next Shabbos, he comes in again. Shabbat Shalom. He says, well, what's this trick? What are you, what are you doing? You're shoplifting? What, what are you doing here? He says, no, no, no. I love you. My brother, I love you. And he walks out. And he did this week after week after week. And it reached a point where the guy closed his door on Shabbos. And it was just a month later where he started to come to Shul. Because how do you know that you hate him because he's Machal Shabbos? Maybe he's Machal Shabbos because you hate him. In other words, you don't look at a person the way he looks. You have to look at a person the way he feels. And if we understand that every single Yid is a kind of Shomosh and Satabi Tahirahi, we look at every single Yid as our brother. Every single Yid is special to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And if a Yid is special to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, they have to be special to us. And if we feel that way, then it's not difficult to daven for a fellow Yid. Have a wonderful Shabbos. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.